0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A blessed Pentecost to each and every one of you, for it is that incredible feast day that we celebrate today in the life of the church. And in order to understand what was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, it's very under, it, it's very important for us to take a look at the day of Pentecost in its Old Testament celebration. Because again, we have today... Something that was a yearly major feast that God had prescribed for His Covenant Hebrew people to celebrate year after year. And it was a particular celebration of something that God had done for them. And as we spoke about in many times past, we understand all of these feasts of the Old Covenant that God had prescribed. Indeed, many things in the Old Testament. We understand them to be types and shadows. That would at some point be fulfilled in and through the finished ministry. The finished work in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Pentecost is no different. So let's remember real quick what they celebrated. The celebration of the feast of Pentecost. What would happen is this. There would be a complete convergence of all of God's covenant people on the city of Jerusalem. All those who dwell therein would be there. And people would come from all the known lands. We heard so many of them mentioned in the reading from the second chapter of Acts. Of where they came from and all the different languages that they would have spoken. All of the people would come and converge on this city of Jerusalem. The streets would be packed. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people. That would come to celebrate this remembrance of something God had done. And what they celebrated was this they celebrated God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai in the desert. And here's what that scene looked like. and It'll help us understand what we see in the second chapter of Acts. When God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, God called all of His people to the base of the mountain. And He called Moses to ascend up onto the mountain upon which God Himself would descend to meet with Moses and convey the law of the covenant. And here's what it looked like. When God descended onto the mountain, he descended in holy fire. We are told that the entire top of the mountain was looked like it was completely being consumed in this fire as Moses would go up. And the people heard such a great noise coming, a, a, Almost a violent sound, it would be described by the people, at the top of the mountain when God would meet with Moses. And as Moses was with God, God then gave him the law, one by one, etched on the side of the mountain that would become the tablets of the law that he would bring back to the people. Now Moses was up there for quite a while. And the people who were down at the base of the mountain, they start getting very concerned for Moses. What do they see They see Moses ascend and fire come down on the top of the mountain. Their thoughts is Moses is consumed. He's dead. We're going to have to fend for ourselves. So what do they do? They take it upon themselves to carve out their own way in the absence of their leader. No matter what they're seeing on the mountain. So they craft for themselves, they fashion for themselves a golden calf. And they begin to worship another God. Breaking one of the laws that God was right then giving to Moses. And when Moses would come down with the commandments, God had told him what was going on. He called the people to repentance. All those of you who will stand with God, cross this line moment and step over. 3,000 of them did not do so and continued worshiping the golden calf. 3,000 perished on that day for their failure to repent and return to God. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Noise, fire, the giving of the law, 3,000 would perish. Now let's listen to what God would do by the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. That day, those filled with the Spirit would speak all of the different languages of those who had come into Jerusalem. So that God may testify. So by the Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus Christ who had ascended. And so many, we look at the end of the second chapter of Acts. By the end of that day, after St. Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, presented Christ through the Gospel. At the end of that chapter, we find that 3,000 were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And off they went, the church being born. I want you to see the parallels between the two. On Mount Sinai, there was a great noise. Actually, frightened the people. And in the second chapter of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the noise of a violent rushing wind was heard on Mount Sinai. When God descended, He descended on with holy fire on the mountain. When God filled them with His Holy Spirit, we see that He descends once again with fire, and fire would light at the top upon each <coughs> of the disciples. And God once again was right with right His law. Not like at Mount Sinai where he would write on the stone. But this time he would write his law by the Holy Spirit into the very hearts of his people. Thus fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 where he says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And on that day in Mount Sinai, 3,000 for lack of repentance would perish in the desert. How many did I say would be baptized on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 would be brought to life by the Holy Spirit having been filled with them. This is the Pentecost we celebrate and how it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ in the sending of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember last week, we read the Gospel of St. John in chapter 15. And we spoke about one of the roles of the Holy Spirit being the Comforter, but I also said that this week we would talk about the other role of the Holy Spirit, or one of the other roles of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's role is to testify of the risen Jesus Christ through His people. Listen again to that Gospel reading from John 15. But when the Comforter comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will testify. That word testify means He will bear the truth of. He will reveal. He will show forth the risen Jesus Christ in and through the flesh and blood of His church. And we need to look no further than the second chapter of Acts to see that happen right then and there from the very beginning. Because when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on that day, that role of the Holy Spirit testifying, revealing, bearing witness to, our Lord Jesus Christ would happen that day. As they would all speak in all of those tongues, the tongues of all those who had come by the utterance of the Holy Spirit. Why? That through their flesh and blood, now filled with the Holy Spirit through their lives, the people that day would see and experience the Jesus Christ of their salvation. And by the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, they would come into the ark of salvation by baptism and they too would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Comforter would come to the 3,000 and through the 3,000 as they would go from there back to everywhere from where they came throughout the whole known world, through them, by the Holy Spirit given them, Jesus Christ was revealed to all those. To whom they would return to. Everywhere that they would go. The fathers teach us. That from the moment of Pentecost. In fact they would say. There was only an extremely brief time. Where the ministry of Jesus Christ. On the earth. Would have a pause. And it would be between ascension. And. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Because the fathers teach us that from the moment of Pentecost, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in God's people, the continuing ministry of the Incarnation, the continuing ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, would continue how? In and through each living stone. fact it would be fulfilled what Jesus would tell his disciples when he was with them remember Jesus would say all of these things that you've seen me do you will do even greater things than these how? because the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost the Holy Spirit would fill lifeless people and fill them with the life of Jesus Christ and everywhere they go Christ's ministry would continue In fact, this would continue in the church from Pentecost to the generations beyond. I'll just give you a few examples. Saints Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, look at their ministry. Think about all that God did through them because the Holy Spirit was poured out and filled them. Is it not true that our Lord Jesus Christ healed through their flesh and blood? Is it not true that our Lord Jesus Christ would teach through them, would guide through them, would call mankind to repentance through them, that they might be healed? That through Saints Peter and Paul, through their lives, they would proclaim that the kingdom of God truly is near the very message St. John the forerunner gave and was evident through the life of Jesus Christ. And through them, many would be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would witness "...that those filled with the Holy Spirit the work of Christ would begin through them, for the salvation of their own souls and those around them." In Antioch, we find out in the, in the Scriptures that in Antioch, Christians were first called Christians. Why? Well, first of all, it was a derogatory term put on us by the Romans. Because the Romans looked at all of those who were baptized, they didn't know it, but had been filled with the Holy Spirit... And what is it that they saw in the Christians, those who followed Christ in Antioch, they saw them doing the same things that Jesus was doing. They saw the risen Jesus Christ in and through them. And so they made fun of them, calling them Christians. Remember what Christian means, little Christs. They had no idea that being derogatory to them, they were paying them the utmost of compliments that they were showing them that salvation was working itself out in their lives, because they, by that Holy Spirit, were being transformed into the likeness of Christ, and the ministry of Jesus was continuing through them. Let's bring it to more modern days. We have two saints in this nave and sanctuary. We have their icons and relics: Saint Herman of Alaska and Saint, excuse me, Saint Herman of Alaska and Saint Raphael of Brooklyn. Read about these people. Read about the saints. And you will see the power and the life of Christ given through Pentecost happen through their lives. That's why we're given the saints. To be that glaring testimony of what Jesus really desires for our own salvation. And for salvation to come through us to others. Because St. Herman, the first of the orthodox apostles to the North American continent. you would come to Alaska. And the witness is this of his life and ministry. Truly, it's a witness of Christ. That he became so like Christ in his virtues and in his nature that when the orphans that he ministered to, the natives that he ministered to, everywhere he went, they saw less of St. Herman and they saw more of Jesus Christ right there before them. And because of that, they were drawn into the Ark of Salvation and they too will be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. St. Raphael of Brooklyn, would come to America and he would travel literally from east to west in the 19th century, which was an incredibly hard thing to do on a person. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he would travel. And everywhere that he went, it was like a moth to a flame. The people all around him would experience Jesus Christ in and through His imperfect flesh and blood. And they would be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and countless churches would be born to continue that ministry from east to west all the way across America. And I'll give you one more example. This one brings it home to our parish. And this is one example out of many, and I won't even name a name to tell you the story. Within just a few weeks ago, I was able to visit with a number of our inquirers that are here with us right now. And I was sitting and talking to him. One of the questions that I always like to ask. Is what kept you coming back? What is it that kept you. And developed a hunger. To know more about Christ and his church. And when one of them was talking. They said this. That one of our parishioners. Had developed a friendship with me. And we got to know each other. And so I started coming. And this person said to me. Father you preached weeks ago, about the vine and the branches, how we're plugged into the vine of Christ, and when we're plugged into the vine of Christ, we, the dead branches, come to life and bear the fruit of Jesus Christ Himself. And she said, I want you to hear this. That person, this parishioner, bore the fruit of Christ. And that's why I came. My friends, even in things like that, Pentecost is continuing. This is the design. This is the desire of God. That the ministry of Jesus Christ not be distant from man, but that man might be able to experience and touch all of those things, that they might see him for who he truly is. That they might experience the same ministry Jesus has always been doing in, in bringing those to him and saving their souls. How? Because each one of us who are in the church have been baptized and filled with the same Holy Spirit the same way that it occurred. The same Holy Spirit given and filling us that was there on the day of Pentecost. And I tell you, my friends, I since I was, a, quite frankly, I think an early teenager, I have longed to be a part of the church of Pentecost. I have longed, even before I knew anything about our orthodox faith, I have longed to be part of a church where Christ was still ministering through and to. And that it was evidenced in the life of everyone that was in that parish and in that church as a whole universal. That we all might experience, this has always been my desire, that through my weak and frail and human flesh and blood and through yours, that Christ might save us and one another and those outside of the church by the same experience that He's always desired to grant through His people. But there's a reality if we are going to be and continue in that church, because I want to tell you something very quickly. I don't say this casually. Just simply going through the motions in the church that Christ has given the apostles will not get us there. Remaining in the church is very important. You didn't hear me say that. Going through the motions. With it being wrote. What does it take? And what was evidence there at the very beginnings of the church and anywhere, and anywhere throughout history, that Christ revealed himself through his people? It was happening because his people attended to that very relationship. His people took the gift of the Holy Spirit that they had received at their baptism. And they fanned it into flames by submitting to fellowship and communion with a God who is very real. One of the things that we are going to have to break out of. Because I don't care even today if you're born and raised in the Orthodox Church in America even. We have a little fight that we have to deal with because of where we have been brought up and the culture in which we have been brought up. Because we have been brought up in a culture of western post-enlightenment approaches to the faith. Where we truly instead, as orthodox Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, need to become more like children again. What do I mean by post-enlightenment? What do I mean by western post-enlightenment? The idea that we can truly know God and draw close to Him in our intellect alone. That by the reading of many great books, by many great theologians, and I dare say even by the non-prayerful reading of Holy Scripture, that gets us information about, but do we really know Him? And by knowing Him, are we drawn by Him to offer our lives and truly become disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, following Him all of our days, abandoning whatever He calls us to abandon for the sake of His life, for our salvation, and for those that might be saved through us. My friends, the Incarnation was not this. In the Incarnation, God did not Drop a library on his people and say, Please read about me. In the incarnation, he granted us a person. He enfleshed himself, all that God is, in one of the persons of the Trinity, his son Jesus Christ, for the experience of God. And then on Pentecost, again, he didn't send down books, he sent another person of the Trinity. To fill each and every one of us with Himself. That we might experience Him in actual fellowship. Don't forget how the garden started in the beginning. God walked and taught. And He brought up His children as a father. Nothing's changed. And it's not that we can't draw nearer to God through our reading of those theologians who gave their lives so to the Holy Spirit that God was revealed in such a way, we can certainly come to know Him through those things. But it can't be the intellect alone. Our faith does not reside in our cranium. Our faith resides in an absolute journey of relationship. When the church, when any of those living stones in the church walk as a disciple with a living Christ, living in fellowship with Him daily, There you will see Pentecost continue. There you will see through that life. You will see the testimony. For which the Holy Spirit was given. Of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit.